and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Nitya Subramanian, an editor at the Institute. Amid the surging COVID-19 pandemic in India, elections were held in the four states of West Bengal, Assam, Kerala, and Tamil Nadu, along with the Union Territory of Puducherry. Results were announced over the past few days, and the Dravida Munitra Karagam emerged as the winner in Tamil Nadu, while the Bharatiya Janata Party took Puducherry. As part of our assembly election series, we have with us Dr. Narayan Lakshman, Associate Editor of The Hindu, to discuss the outcomes in Tamil Nadu and Puducherry. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Nice to join you here today. The DMK has returned to power in, in the Tamil Nadu Assembly after 10 years. While it did win comfortably, the party did not sweep the polls as expected. What are your thoughts on this? So um, I, you're absolutely right to say that the DMK's victory was not what people initially had projected, which was a landslide. Um, instead, what you saw with the 133 seats that they bagged is that the electorate appears to have given them a fairly strong mandate to govern and a clear victory, but at the same time has uh, almost put in a, a check and balance system by giving the AI DMK a sizable proportion of seats in the, in the state assembly as well. And I think the logic, if we are searching for one, could be that on the one hand, the DMK has emerged as a strong party with strong leadership. And strong leadership is something since the passing of the titans of the Dravidian movement, which is both Jayalalita of the AIA DMK and Karunanadi of the DMK. So the power vacuum that emerged has seen a lot of infighting, say, within the AIA DMK. And at the same time, the DMK side, while the mantle of leadership passed on quite smoothly to the current leader, MK Stalin, uh, there is a question mark that remains over whether Mr. Stalin could deliver a state assembly victory uh, prior to this latest election. So I think the electorate in its wisdom has given Mr. Stalin a strong mandate to rule, but at the same time has left the door open for the AIADMK to remain as a strong opposition party within the state assembly. And I think the logic again is that the AIADMK, even though it lacked that strong leadership, managed to provide good governance to the state. Let's take a step back and look at what Mr. Edapadi Palanisamy, the outgoing or former chief minister now, had provided. He actually governed in a very solid way, especially given that he emerged from the shadows of the rule of Jailalita, who was a fairly centralized and strong leader, who nevertheless did not allow the green shoots of leadership to flourish beneath her. Therefore, when Mr. Edapadi Palanisamy took, took charge, of the party and of the government, he actually faced numerous challenges from within the party and then outside of the party. So the challenges from within the party came from his, the current, the uh, previous deputy chief minister, Mr. O. Panir Selvam. Uh, but that challenge was seen off when the two of them came together and managed to hammer out a truce and govern for, on a stable basis henceforth. Externally, the, the power of the VK Sasikala clan, Jalalita's erstwhile friend and the Manargudi uh, clan's leader was an extremely serious one. Of course, un unfortunately for Mrs. Sasikala, she was convicted in the disproportionate assets 
scam case and she had to go to prison and therefore that threat weakened but at the same time her nephew mr ttv dinakaran splintered off and he formed the anmk party which in turn actually posed a serious threat in terms of engineering defections or or you know being a home to those mlas who left the aiadmk and went outside the party so mr edapadi palniswami emerged from this turmoil of the initial period of his rule to find his feet as it were in as an able and credible uh, chief minister governing the party and in fact during the most recent covid-19 pandemic crisis as well he proved his credentials as an able administrator combined with the tamil nadu bureaucracy which has for many years established itself as an excellent uh, apparatus for governing especially in the healthcare field mr palni sami delivered uh, credible policies at the state level and the state actually performed fairly well during 2020 and the numbers did not see a surge of course the most recent second wave that has overtaken the country has overwhelmed tamil nadu as well to an extent but even there the state has performed well so far relative to northern states and even as far south as karnataka so i think what the election results tell us in terms of the dmk aia dmk balance is that the dmk has been given the mandate to take good governance forward and in fact it is the aia dmk that has set the trend for good governance so far and at the same time the electorate by giving the aia dmk some seats and not seeing it wiped out of the state assembly completely as indeed has been previous trends in the state has ensured that there will be a check and balance against mr stalin and the dmk and they will be held to account for any policies that they seek to implement going forward um you talk about a very interesting aspect of uh, mr palani swami uh, in fact stalin too was not handed over uh, uh, handed over responsibility easily he did come through some sort of uh, ranks uh, and this is perhaps the first elections where there is no star power there is no jayalalitha and there is no karunanidhi campaigning for their respective parties so do you think this marks the end of an era where the world of cinema and politics met in tamil nadu and what are your expectations from stalin's leadership and what do you think are his immediate challenges so i think you're absolutely right to observe uh, that star power no longer seems to have the heft that it does in elections and there is a as i said a very interesting question that still remains open around mr mk stalin's uh, own credentials as governing and of course we all know that in 2019 he did deliver a strong mandate uh, on in the lok sabha election uh, completely routing the ai dmk uh and you know garnering most uh, all but one seat uh in in uh in the lok sabha so i think his own father comes from that star power category of leaders he was a script writer a film writer uh, during the early days of the dravidian movement and like the other uh others who came from the star power category including uh mg ramachandran uh, a major major leader Uh, and also a major uh, cinema star and then jayalalitha after him the, the leader to follow in the aia dmk uh, they you all three of these leaders used 
the silver screen and the cinematic medium to deliver propagandistic messages about the Dravidian movement, the common Tamil man and the unique Tamil ethnicity and the identity and juxtaposing it to North Indian politics, uh, Brahmin dominated politics of the North, which came from Delhi and which was seen in some sense as the political challenger to what was uh, needed for the Tamil people. So the history of star power, power and its voice in, in the political arena is, was quite different in the early years of the Dravidian movement. And we're talking about the late 1960s, 1970s and so forth. Um, that has considerably changed uh, since the 1990s and the early uh, 21st century. And the reason for such changes, the Dravidian movement itself has changed. It is no longer about pitting the needs and the demands of the Dravidian people or the Tamil people in the South versus the North. It has become much more accommodative and inclusive. It is not even, it is, I would say, lost a little bit of that anti-Brahmin or caste hostility edge. It has become much more about fighting for state autonomy within the context of the broader Indian cultural milieu, recognizing Tamil Nadu's place within the Indian Union, but yet demanding the state's share of resources to deliver whatever it takes in terms of good governance for the Tamil people, whether it is you know, flood management, the battle against the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, subsidi subsidies to agriculture and all of those issues. So uh, the, the nature of the movement has changed. Therefore, the ability of star power or even the need for star power to deliver that message has changed. Therefore, as you correctly pointed out, you rightly have seen uh, stars such as uh, Kamal Hassan making a fairly strong foray, that is forming a party, having a manifesto, and actually contesting elections, yet not making the kind of splash that was hoped for. And you have even bigger stars such as Rajnikanth, obviously, who hemmed and hawed for the longest time uh, and uh, made promises to take that leap into politics, into the political arena of, in the state, and yet failing to do so at the last minute. Of course, in his case, there were health concerns. I'm talking about Rajnikanth. And uh, that was the reason he might have pulled out. But at the same time, it led to question marks around whether he would ally with the BJP or not, whether his politics were aligned with the BJP, how that would sit, uh, whether it would be challenging the Dravidian parties or whether there was an alliance that was possible with the AIA-DMK. All of these questions came up, but yet neither star at the end of the day made a big splash. And that is for these major historical reasons, as I said, where the Dravidian movement's very nature itself has changed. Now, this is not to say Nitya, that in the future, there will not be an opportunity for star power to play a role. Uh, let's face it, the Tamil people have always been sort of uh, you know, open to the notion of allowing the cinematic medium to influence them. They're quite a sentimental people as so far as voting in election is concerned and they take cinema very seriously. So if there is in the future a star who could deliver political messages through, that mean, uh, through the means of the silver screen, uh, there is no bar that against them. There is no saying that they would not make the kind of splash that uh, the, the heroes and heroines of the past did. And, and what do you think of, what are your expectations of Stalin's leadership and his challenges right now? So Stalin is in an, actually an interesting position because, um, you know, he, at, they did, the DMK as such carried out a high voltage Dravidian values campaign. And a part of that was juxtaposing the 
ideology or the political philosophies of the DMK as a Dravidian part, a Dravidian movement forerunner uh, to the BJP and its Hindutva politics. And that juxtaposition or that the challenges that the DMK posed to the BJP's worldview uh, continues to have an echo and will have an echo while Mr. Stalin now occupies uh, the official seat of power. So the challenge for him will be on the one hand to continue uh, speaking publicly about his party's commitment to those Dravidian party values, which is, for example, even against Hindi imposition, uh, but at the same time, finding his place within the center state framework, the federal structure of India, which certainly is reliant upon formal resource allocation mechanisms. So allocation of tax revenue collections from the center to the state, uh, coordinating uh, policies on the concurrent list or on the state list, which requires central assistance as well. Uh, and even the COVID-19 uh, pandemic battle is a very good example of where there has to be a calibration of uh, between the state policies and the central government policies. So Mr. Ch Stalin's challenge is to find that balance, you know, walk that tightrope between, on the one hand, speaking out vociferously for Dravidian party values, which brought him into power, but at the same time, playing ball with the center, maybe even seeking to build that personal chemistry with Prime Minister Narendra Modi, which the AIADMK actually did in an extremely adept manner. So in, in that sense, it is a new ground for Mr. Stalin. I think Mr. Stalin also has to um, balance out his own victory in terms of the number of seats his party garnered with the arithmetic of alliance politics. So there are other uh, parties which are allied with him, but at the same time, you know, you cannot uh, allow them to be, uh, have a sense of feeling uh, disenfranchised and uh, feeling that the DMK is calling all the shots. So I think he will have to carefully retain attention, his political attention on the parties, at the various parties that have helped him come into power and ensure that they do not feel marginalized. Um, you also mentioned about the AI DMK's um, alliance with the BJP and the BJP has opened its account this time with four seats. Um, now, how do you think the entry of the BJP will affect the politics of the state, especially with regard to minorities? So that, if you ask me, Nadia, is one of the major shifts that has happened in the last few years in terms of the politics of the state. Uh, we spoke earlier about how the power vacuum that emerged after the passing of Jalalita and Karunanadi affected leadership and it affected ideology, but it also has opened up a space for a different brand of politics, saffron politics even, to enter the state. And like you said, the BJP opened its account. It has entered the state assembly after 20 years, and that is a really big step. Um, at the same time, I think the credit must go not only to the BJP, but also its allies such as the RSS, which ground reports tell us have been working diligently at the grassroots level across the states, you know, uh, engaging with uh, temples and temple festivals at the village level, mobilizing people around the politics of uh, Hindu nationalism in that sense. So I think there is the uh, very deliberate opening up of a political space that has happened. And at the same time, uh, the demographics of Tamil Nadu itself has changed. The youth are far more vociferous. And uh, let's face it, they have entered, you know, the millennials and post-millennials have entered politics in, a, in the digital era where 
campaigning through social media and the propagation of hindutva values through social media has played a far greater role on their collective psyches and their voting behavior than in the past in the past the dravidian parties the dmk and admk were effective mobilizers down to the village level through their on ground party machines offline but now the online sphere has made an enormous impact and uh, so i think this time that has made a big impact and i think um, the bjp is very deliberately playing a long strategy they are not rushing into power they are not seeking to do maybe what even worked in other states where you know uh, legislators could be picked off from ru ruling parties and governments could even collapse they are not doing that they are not putting pressure on the aiadmk beyond a point except for alliance politics they are playing the long game where through alliance politics they are seeking to slowly build up their numbers at the same time uh, increase their cultural footprint on the state and that is the politics that could yield benefits in the very long term uh, because you're seeking to mold the very collective psyche and voting behavior of the people i think you're seeing the beginnings of that i think the really interesting challenge will come from uh leadership of uh, the dmk where the dmk itself will continue to shift the needle on what dravidian politics is they themselves have faced uncomfortable questions about say mr stalin's family going to temples to worship and you know do are they anti religiosity or do they have a soft hindutva uh, acceptance that is building within their own party so these kind of questions will continue to rise in the future and uh, whichever dravidian party is in power will have to find a sort of meeting ground if they want to keep the political middle and remain relevant uh, to the to the median voter well, we'll also have to talk a little bit about the congress party which picked up 18 seats out of the 25 that was allotted by the dmk uh, this is perhaps its best performance amongst all the four states that participated in the assembly elections this time to what can this success be attributed and do you think uh, the congress will be able to replicate this in other states and rebuild its um, position uh, i think this is a really interesting uh, fascinating question from the point of view of the congress being a national party and in many many constituencies in tamil nadu there being a direct contest between the congress and the bjp so i think uh, for example uh, it was actually in south coimbatore there was a direct contest and in fact kamal hasan was also in the fray but yet it was the uh, bjp vanathi srinivasan who prevailed so i think there are two things that set apart the congress in this election and previous elections the first is that the congress is less of an unknown entity in tamil politics than the bjp uh, let's take a step back to 1967 where it was actually the congress in power and the dmk unseated the congress after a grassroots campaign and that was the very formal beginning of the dravidian movement itself uh, at that time the congress was seen as a party of the elites and it certainly was considered the party of you know brahmin dominance followed from the end of the colonial period uh, but at the same time the congress has been seen as an entity that could provide a bridge between state politics and national politics and it has always even before this election uh, in the previous assembly it has always retained a single digit number of seats at least uh, the second is that uh, the congress for whatever criticisms may be leveled at it at least explicitly speaks of a commitment to secular politics and constitutional politics 
And that has an overlap with the rationalist view of the Dravidian movement values, whether you are talking about the DMK or the AI DMK of the past. So from the time of uh, Periyar, E.V. Ramsamy, and CN Anadare, and then Karunanandri, and so forth, uh, the Dravidian movement has also always been about rationalism. Uh, it balanced itself against the caste Hindu politics and, uh, you know, even the emancipation of women and women's rights. It spoke of all of those things as a bundle of values. And I think in that regard, the Congress was seen as neither a foe nor an ally, because while they did represent North Indian politics and Brahmin dominance, they did speak consistently from the start of, about uh, constitutional and uh, secular politics. We can always ask whether they truly adhered to, in substance, the, what they spoke of in terms of secular politics. And indeed, that has been the criticism of even the BJP of the Congress. Um, but uh, in that regard, they were not as uh, seen as a hostile or even an unknown entity relative to the BJP. And that explains their historical standing and performance in many uh, successive Tamil Nadu state assembly elections. I think that explains their success to a great extent. Uh, I think the second factor is that the, uh, as a pushback to the BJP at a national level, a number of voters must have also voted for the Congress in the constituencies where they've historically been strong. Um, here again, worth taking a step back to see that from the 2014 to the 2019 Lok Sabha election, the BJP has expanded its national footprint uh, it has been very steadfastly trying to make inroads into the southern states of uh, Tamil Nadu and Kerala and, of, of course, West Bengal in a high-voltage campaign, as we know. Uh, and in that regard, there is something about the national consciousness of the Tamil voter. And I do believe that those who voted for the Congress in this election see their vote as being a counterbalance to the expanding footprint of the BJP at the national level. So both in terms of state politics and the history of state politics, as well as what is happening at the national scenario, the whatever victory there is of the Congress in this election can be explained by trends in those two spheres. And finally, let's talk a little bit about Puducherry, where the BJP won, uh, won uh, giving it another opening in South India. Uh, Karnataka, of course, it is in power there, uh, but we know what happened in that state. Uh, so how significant is this win and would this give it any political leverage in Southern India? Absolutely, Nithya, it would. And the reason is uh, symbolic more than anything. Like I think your question also suggests it is may not have a powerful or a reach in terms of magnitude of policy impact. You know, Puducherry is a union territory. It's a smaller territory, uh, but as a symbol of having uh, breached the southern barrier for the BJP, uh, something it had not done so far. It is extremely important. Like you said, as Karnataka is a state uh, as far south as the BJP had got, and in terms of having a fairly significant impact. But uh, Kerala and Tamil Nadu have proved completely intractable to saffron politics. Uh, so this is almost a second level victory that the BJP could claim. It could claim that it has, footprint has finally made its way to the south, even if it's in the union territory. I think the broader uh, lead on or the knock on effect that the BJP would be hoping to uh, speak about in this regard is from Puducherry, can it seek to expand more into Tamil Nadu itself? And in that regard, uh, having control of Puducherry would allow a base for its own party activities. It would allow 
the marshalling of resources, coordinating with the RSS, for example, uh, you know, even leaning on the offices of the governor to informally help wherever possible. So, for example, we did see the case of Kiran Bedi as the governor appointed by the center in Puducherry in the past, who actually literally redefined what a governor could do within constitutional politics. Uh, her critics, of course, described uh, the policy actions of the governor's office as a parallel government. Now, whether or not that was true remains a question mark, but she certainly was uh, on the front foot uh, in terms of uh, assessing the policies of the erstwhile government and challenging them in many regards when they were seen to be falling short. Now, these sorts of uh, power shifts in the power balance become even more feasible when you have a, a BJP friendly or a BJP government itself uh, in Pondicherry. And I think that is actually going to be a leveraging point that can be used to slowly, uh, as we said, uh, you know, expand their footprint in, in the southern uh, states, especially in Tamil Nadu itself. Um, thank you, Dr. Narayan, for this insightful conversation. It was lovely having you with us. Thank you, Nithya, for having me. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you again on similar issues going forward. You were listening to South Asia Chat, where we have been covering the assembly elections with separate podcasts on Kerala, West Bengal, and Tamil Nadu. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.